Hi everyone, we're reading from Revelation chapter 7 and the second section starting at verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Good evening, everyone. It's good to be here with you. Uh, if you're joining us on the live stream as well, uh, it's great to have people uh, together uh, meeting for what's our international service. Um, this morning, we had uh, items from some of the different services. Uh, people read the Bible in a different language, and it was good to be confronted with the fact that, oh, I can't understand that. Uh, if it's not in my language, what do I do with it? Um, next week in our English services, uh, all of them, we're returning to the book of Acts and we're going to work through chapters 17 through to 28 uh, before we turn our attention to Christmas. Not many sleeps to go. Um, the handbooks for the series are out in the foyer. Uh, and if you look at them and think, oh, I've already got that one. No, you don't. Uh, they're the same cover, but different internals. So um, they're out there on the, on the table. Um, home groups are, most home groups are starting up this week. Uh, but the first sermon will be next Sunday on Acts chapter 17. Um, one other very quick but exciting announcement is that we're holding a special online meeting in two Tuesdays' time, that is the 17th of October. Dave Craft has been our MTS apprentice this year, and on the 17th, we are going to present to you the Elders' recommendation that Sam Madavi be appointed as an MTS apprentice starting next year. Yes, Sam. <laughs> How good is that? Um, Everyone's invited to be a part of that Zoom meeting, uh, and if you are a formal member, it's strongly encouraged that you make it a priority. Um, if we've got your contact details, you'll get an email this week. If you don't get it, it means we don't have your email, so get in touch with someone in the office. Um, if you need further info, uh, if you want to talk to Sam, uh, he's here tonight. Um, if you need, just need help working out how to get set up to be online on that day, um, just talk to myself or Rod or Mark after the service. As we've had read, um, we're, we're looking at Revelation 7 tonight, uh, the very end of the Bible. We need God's help to enable us to understand this and to put it into practice. So will you pray with me now? Lord Jesus, thank you for uh, your revelation 
uh, that you have shown us things that you know that we need to know. Uh, And so as we spend just a little bit of time thinking about this passage and what it reveals to us, uh, by your spirit, please enable us to understand it. But even more than that, by your spirit, work in us so that we put it into practice to your glory and honour. We ask this in your name. Amen. Life is full of uncertainties. When we start out at school, very few people know what they're going to do when they finish 10 plus years later. When we start out at our first job, no one knows where their career path is going to take them. When we first show interest in that person who's becoming little more than a friend, no one really knows whether it will lead to marriage and if so, what marriage life is going to look like. Even though we can't know, the reality is is we desperately want to know. The result of next Saturday's referendum has been the source of endless predictions. Each month, it is primetime news as to whether the economists have got their forecasts right this time and interest rates are staying put or going up. The experts tell us before it happens who will win the race or the football or the reality TV contest. Even Google Maps predicts when I'm going to arrive at my destination. Now, sometimes those telling the future do get it right, but often the outcome is unexpected or even contradicts what the experts said was going to take place. Thankfully for us, the Bible does speak with authority into this innate desire for us to know the future. The Bible is not just another expert giving its possible opinion. It is the future revealed. This is what's going to happen. And rather than tell us what job to take or who to marry, the ending that is described here is clearly about something that God considers to be even more important than those very important things. And so tonight we're going to look at what does God tell us about the end of time and therefore what should we do with the rest of our time? What does God tell us about the end of time? Therefore, what do we do with the rest of our time? I think the very first thing that stands out from this passage is the Bible's interest in the many rather than the individual. Most of us want to know what's going to happen for me. But the Bible speaks about what will happen for we. Have a look again at verse 9. After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. The biggest crowd that I've had the chance to be a part of was uh, when the announcement was made for Sydney Olympics being hosted by us. More than a million of us squashed into the Sydney Harbour foreshore to hear Juan Antonio Samarach announce that the winner is Sydney. Uh, It was a lot of people. But it's only a tiny handful in comparison to the crowd that John is privileged to see. According to verse 9, at the end of time, there will be so many people surrounding God's throne that no one will be able to count them. Now, I assume there's going to be some accountants in heaven, but no one. This is an extraordinarily big number. It is far too easy for us in the present, to think that as Christians, we're just an insignificant minority. The media certainly wants us to believe that we're a dying breeder, a relic left over from the past. 
But Revelation chapter 7 reveals that Jesus' salvation is for a future with an uncountable number of people there. And that immense multitude will literally be from everywhere. It's nice that here at WBC, we do have a large variety of different nationalities, 35 or 40 different nationalities. But, but verse 9 insists that in the end, absolutely no one will be left out. There will be people from every nation and tribe. It's not just some from Australia and each of the other 194 nations of the world. It is some from the multitudes of tribes in each of those countries. Every people, speakers of every language in existence. Now, apparently there are currently 7,394 different languages spoken in the world. Of these, Wycliffe says that only 736, less than 10%, have a complete Bible in their language. An enormous 1,268 need a Bible translation to start. They've got nothing at all. Now, figures like these on the screen can make the task seem impossible. How can we possibly get it done? But Revelation 7 says that people from every single one of those groups will be standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. Now, I don't know if that means that all 1,268 additional languages will receive a translation before Jesus returns. But these four different ways of describing everyone ensures that there can be absolutely no doubt that in the end, God is not merely the God of Israel. He is the God of all. Christianity is not the religion of Westerners, as, as some critics still accuse. Worshipping God and the Lamb is the eternal destiny of people from every nation, tribe, people and language. But what worship of God actually is needs to be further explored, and that is what the passage then goes on to describe. Combined with verses like chapter 15, verses 2 and 3, some have pictured heaven as people floating around with halos on clouds, playing harps and singing forever. But as the famous saying goes, a picture tells a thousand words. The book of Revelation is intentionally written in such a way that the imagery is intended to communicate more than a simple photograph or video of what's taking place there. The pictures are symbols, are icons, are something recognisable that carries more, than, more, more meaning than just a snapshot of the activity taking place. If someone wears a wedding ring, it says that this person is in a lifelong relationship. Someone wears a gold medal around their neck, says that they won the race. But just as both of these symbols could be further explored to, to reflect on the, the good and the hard times of marriage, the hours of training and sacrifice for the Olympian, so the picture of worshipping is expanded upon in the following verses. Now, we don't have time to explore everything that the pictures are communicating. But I just want to pick out three important points that you can explore in more detail at another time. The first is the location of the events. Everything in these verses takes place in the throne room of God. Using a very familiar image from Old Testament passages such as Genesis 1 and Isaiah chapter 6, God sitting on his throne 
is an image that communicates his unrivaled control, his supremacy, his perfection, his holiness. The throne room is the place of power, of exaltation, of being other than us. The very popular Netflix show, The Crown, has portrayed various people meeting with Queen Elizabeth II and the, the trepidation that usually accompanies meeting someone that's so powerful. But meeting with the holy God of the whole universe, as described in Revelation 7, is on, is on an altogether other level. The Queen met with individuals in private in her drawing room. She stood on the balcony of Buckingham Palace to greet the masses. But God welcomes an even greater multitude directly into his throne room. Now, it's hard to imagine what that number of people standing before the throne and in front of the lamp would even look like. How big is the room? How is it organised? What privilege do the multitudes have being there in the place of power? Which I think confirms that those things are not actually the point of the image. Rather, it leads into the second significant fact the whiteness of the multitude's robes, mentioned in verse 9, 13, and 14. Given the elders' uh, classic question and answer in verse 13, the significance of the whiteness is clearly cleanliness. Now, Christy's here, and she can probably confirm this, that I'm not renowned in my family as the one who does the washing. Uh, but even I know, for the few times that I've done it, that logically the last thing that you wash white clothes in is blood. And yet this symbol of everyone in white robes, made pristine by washing in the blood of the Lamb, is hopefully more familiar from both the Old Testament and the Gospels. Jesus being described as the Lamb of God is again a symbol, pictorial way of powerfully saying that the eternal Son of God has died as a sacrifice in the place of all. It is his blood. We've celebrated this just now in communion. It's his blood that is, that is his sacrifice of his life for ours that makes people from every nation and tribe and people and language clean. They're not clean because they're dirty. They're dirty because they've actually got sin in their life and the only thing that can clean it up is not a soap and hot water but blood of the lamb. Jesus has done everything needed for us to be able to be in the presence of God and the lamb something that Isaiah 6 has already indicated would be absolutely unthinkable unless a sacrifice had been made. It is not our goodness, our obedience, our determination that earns us an audience with God. It is Jesus' death on our behalf and that alone. Meaning that while the promises of Revelation chapter 7 are incredibly expansive, it is not assuring universal access for everyone. Only those who have trusted in Jesus, who've accepted him as their substitute, are welcomed to come in and praise him forever. Which leads to the final significant point, the praise directed to God and the Lamb. Have a look again at verse 10. They cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Verse 12, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Verse 15, 
Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. Those who have seen the salvation that is achieved completely by Jesus and those who are recipients of that salvation respond just like a roaring crowd cheering for the winner of the grand final. God is worthy of all praise. You've done it. How great are you? So great is God and so impacted are the multitude by what he has done. This response of recognising him as the greatest, of falling on their faces before him, is the natural and only right response. And again, I think that this is in stark contrast with how things are seen to be right now. Last Sunday evening, it was 18 minutes to go in the NRL Grand Final, and it looked for sure that the Panthers' winning streak had finally come to the end. The Broncos had the momentum. They had a huge buffer. Game over. For the uninitiated like me, it seemed like game over. And yet the Panthers turned it around and won. It is far, far too easy for us to assume that how things are going is how things are going to continue going right up until the end. But short-sighted assumptions are inherently dangerous. That an uncountable number of people from every nation, tribe, people and language are going to be worshipping God forever may not look like it's the certain thing that we're heading towards right now. But it is the certainty that God has revealed to us. Which raises the final question we're going to look at tonight. What should we do with the remainder of our time? If that's where the ending is, what are we supposed to do? If God's going to be worshipped by people from everywhere, what are we supposed to be doing while we wait for that to take place? Now, some people read the book of Revelation as if it's a timetable of world events. If, if we can just crack the code, then we'll have the jump on others to, to know what comes next. Others think it's just some kind of bizarre dream. It's so strange, so, so otherworldly that it can't really be understood. But according to its own introduction, the purpose of the book of Revelation is to bless those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. If we here tonight are to take to heart what is revealed in Revelation 7, then clearly God's plan is for people from every nation, tribe, people and language to know him. For people from Albania to Zimbabwe to have realised that their robes are ruined and they need to be washed in the blood of the Lamb, to have that explained in a way that they can actually understand it. And so if our vision is limited to those just like us, those who are within our immediate circle of influence, then I think maybe our boundaries just need to be blown up. If we're only concerned for our future, our family, our tribe, then in light of Revelation 7, we have to expand our interests. It is essential that we all do all we can to share the good news about Jesus with our family, friends, neighbours. But we can't at the same time dismiss the needs of the wider world as if it's just an optional extra for those for whom it seems like something good to be involved in. Everyone who knows me know that I love cycling. It is clearly the best sport in the world, no doubt about it. But no matter how passionate I am about my cycling, I unfortunately don't have any justification whatsoever 
to demand that you share my enthusiasm. It is merely a personal interest. Revelation chapter 7, in stark contrast with that, demands that every single one of us sitting in the room tonight recognises that people from all nations worshipping him is God's finish line. It's not a personal interest. It is God's eternal passion. Which means that if our worship of Jesus doesn't include a heart for others who are different to us, then it is incomplete. God is the God of all nations, tribes, peoples and language. Now, Revelation 7 doesn't detail how we should make this our end goal, what it looks like to be passionate about it, which I think gives us freedom to do it in all sorts of different ways. It will rightly drive some to head to another country, learn a different language, different way of living, and learn how to make sense of Jesus to people who've got a completely different worldview to their own. Others will give financially to help cover the cost of living rises that's devastating Bangladesh and internally displaced people in Myanmar. Some will watch the news each night, not just to be interested, but to feed their prayers and passionately remind their home group to pray for and write to a mission partner. Read a missionary biography. Do the perspectives course offer to help someone newly arrived with getting their license or doing their kids' homework, the opportunities are absolutely limitless. The only thing we can't do is remain uninvolved. They say that the only thing certain in life is death and taxes. But the Bible disagrees with that. Even more certain than those two things is that God will be worshipped by people from every nation, tribe, people and language. Given that that is an inevitability, may we all be developing the passion that is God's passion and may we all be working toward the goal that God is working towards. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have revealed to us the finish line. And that after the finish line, that all of time is about praising you. We thank you so much, not just to know what's going to happen, but that that actually informs us to know what we are supposed to do now. Lord, if our passion is not your passion, please change it. Enlarge our vision so that people beyond those that are like us become the people that we are interested in. Increase our care, increase our concern, increase our prayerfulness, increase our giving, increase our desire for people to know you, whether they're people that are nearby us or people far away. Lord, may you be known. We ask this for your glory. Amen.